You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, good morning, everybody. We've had an interesting couple of weeks here. Um, I was thinking about it yesterday, and I, I was thinking if you know the terminology. I don't know why it went in my head like this, but we've had a we've had a weird few Sundays, um, but that's just wrong. We've just had Sundays, and the Lord's had the authority to do what He needed to do, and that's what He did. It's just been without. It's been outside of the normal routine, right? But that's not a bad thing, right? right. Lord's showing up, doing things like. I was telling Zach and Melissa yesterday, I've, I've got two sermons that I've just given up on trying to preach. Because uh, every time I, I have them in my notebook up here, it doesn't happen. And I don't have a notebook this, this morning with me. I had uh, just some time with the Lord this week and sitting down and I was listening to a, a, another sermon. And man, it just it hit me square between the eyes. It, it was profoundly for this community, for, for this time that we're in right now. Profound, and um, the only reason I'm, sh- I'm I'm t- I'm taking a lot of this and I'm applying it to what the Lord has been speaking, a lot of that message that I heard and I'm bringing it in here and, and just applying it to what the Lord has been showing me over the last couple of weeks. But something that has been so profound for me and so encouraging for me, you know, one of the issues with with pastors is we don't have anybody that pours into us. We, we, are, we are seen as those that are meant to pour into others. No one thanks to pour into a pastor. And, and that, that puts pastors in a tricky spot. Because um, it's not something that I can just go up to anybody and say, I need you to mentor me as a head pastor. Because if they don't understand what that has ever looked like, they're not, they're not going to be able to help you. you know? That would be like me asking Sarah to mentor me in golf. She's never played and I'm really bad, so the odds are not good that it's going to work out very well. Um, so it just, it's been interesting, but with that, I've been, there's, there's been churches that I've listened in, I've tuned into their pastors and just been fed for myself, and I trust the words that they bring because so oftentimes I hear the words that they bring have been spoken in here first. Not repeated after them, but We've spoken it in here, and then I've listened to them, and I'm like, oh man, we just preached on that. We just, I just had a conversation on that. So I'm excited to bring this word for you, and I was, I was trying to get it all fleshed out on, on pen and paper like I normally do, and the Lord just said, stop. I just felt like I was going against the grain. So I've got scripture and a Bible, and we're just going to go. You guys good with that? We're just going to roll. Okay, Jay, we're going. Um, I'm going to need to bring a towel with me if we're going to play sets that are that jamming because I was so wetting and I'm good with it. I like it, right? That means we're working hard enough. I dig it. So uh, that was a lot of fun. I hope you guys are all sweaty as well. Uh, With that, we'll be in Hebrews 11 verse 1 and that's where we'll start this morning. We know this passage. We know these scriptures uh, well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, 
so that what is seen was not, ba- was not made out of things that are visible. We know that all that we see was created by all that is unseen. Amen. We know this to be true, that God is outside of everything that we see and we experience each and every day. He created it. But faith at the end of the day, how does faith grow? How does faith increase? It increases by the things that are seen, that are produced by that which is unseen. It is the assurance of things unseen. What does that mean? I am assured of God. I don't see Him, but I am assured of Him because I have seen Him physically do more than I can comprehend. I've seen it in the flesh. I've seen it in the natural realm, the unseen God move in power and put Himself on display. Amen? This is faith, is it not? This is faith. This is faith. This is who the Lord is. We have experienced Him. We have experienced and seen Him. And if faith is what you see, then hope is the way that you see. Let me say that again. If faith is what you see, hope is how you see. Okay? Remember that as we move on. This is key. Faith gives life to hope and hope pushes faith forward. Hope is to live in expectation and the joyful anticipation of good. I think that's the best description of hope I've ever heard. To live in expectation. Now we've talked about that. That word has kind of been taboo in the church. It's been been misused, unfortunately. But do you have expectation of God? You should. Where we get into trouble is when we add preferences to our expectations. That's the word that we need to watch out for is preference. I expect God to move in power in Sundown, Texas, and I would prefer if He did it right now. But if He doesn't do it the way I want Him to do it right now, what happens? I leave disappointed. I leave frustrated. Expectation is not the issue. We are to live with expectation and live in this place of a joyful anticipation of good. What does that look like, church? If, If you live with a joyful anticipation... Can you ever exist without joy? You will never be robbed of it if you live with joyful anticipation of good to come. Because you are expecting and anticipating good. Though you may not be in it now, I'm anticipating it tomorrow. Amen? And living in that anticipation, what happens in the hard days? There is joy. Because I know that good is coming and good follows me. Amen? This is hope. Hope, these are the, hope is the glasses in which you see the world. And being a child of God, the glasses that you wear, you also are putting on those around you. How many know that if, we, if, if there's a gossip, a person that gossips a lot, what, what does their friend group normally look like? A lot of people that gossip, Right? Right? It, it attracts. It draws people in. It's a lighthouse. There are good and bad lighthouses. You hear what I'm saying? Good and bad, good, bad, good and bad sources, uh, reflections of light that are not of God. I've got a, we've got a bug zapper at the house. It's a reflection of light. I would not recommend you go towards it and grab it because it hurts. Right? You see what I'm saying? But we have, we have these things and the things that we carry will attract others that carry the same. But if we live 
if we live with a hopeful view of the world, with a joyful anticipation of good, what happens to those that are around us? They start putting on the same glasses. They start seeing the world in hope. The last two weeks, the last three weeks for me, I need you to be, I'm going to be real honest with you, have been some of the hardest weeks of my entire life. It, they have been rough to just stay where God has placed me. That's been, that's been the battle. To stay where God has placed. Because for, and most of you don't know this, and that's fine, I don't need you to, but it, there has been a heavy push on our family to get us to just tuck and run and leave sundown. Huge. The enemy has been meeting us in the morning and in the evening, each and every day throughout the day, just doing anything and everything he can to convince us it's time to pack and go. Because that's the trend of what we're seeing out there. But we had this wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful for Zach and Melissa. They, they pull Sarah and I out. Because we would not go out and engage. They make us go be friends with them. I love it. They forcefully put themselves in our lives, and it's beautiful, and it helps us tremendously. And we were in, in Lubbock last night, and we were talking, and uh, we were talking about pruning. And Melissa's just talking about pruning a bush, and the Lord just hits me with this revelation. How many of you have ever pruned a rose bush? I know Danny has. <laughs> if you know Danny at all, he does not like rose bushes. Okay? They're too big. But if you prune a rose bush, if you prune any bush, if you prune a tree, it does not immediately look good. Oftentimes when you prune a rose bush, it's like, I just killed that. There's no way it's coming back. That thing is ugly now. It just looks like sticks with sharp, pokey things on it. All the pretty things I cut off. It does not look pretty in the pruning process. But we know that pruning is necessary. Because what does it produce? It produces more life. It produces more beauty. And right now, church, I need you to be convinced of this reality that we are in a pruning phase. The Lord is cutting things away. He's, he's, there are physical people that are being called away in the community of Sundown, Texas. Not bad. This is, they're not leaving because they're bad. Hear that. I don't prune a rose bush because it's a bad bush. I prune it because I want to give it newness of life. Right? So some people are, the Lord is asking them to leave. The Lord is calling them into new places. And praise God that they're operating in obedience to go. Amen? Amen? This is not the end journey. Sundown Texas is not all that there is. The, the Lord is moving in might in every city and every country across the world. He desires every heart in every nation. Amen? And so, of course, those are being sent out, and we praise God for it. So the pruning doesn't look like this negative thing as we see people go. But also there is a deep pruning that is taking place in us as individuals. There, the Lord has had me in a deep pruning process. And I know I'm not the only one, because I'm your pastor. And if He's got me in it, I know for a fact He's got you in it. Because it's necessary for what comes next. And it's not, oh my gosh, it is not fun. I just if, you, if you're not in it yet, you don't look forward to it. It's horrible. It hurts. It's really painful. It's not a lot of fun. But I know 
with joyful anticipation that there is good in it. Amen. Do you hear what I'm saying to you, church? Hope. Hope is the glasses that we are meant to wear to see the world with hopeful eyes. Exodus 3, verse 5. This is the burning bush, the Lord speaking to Moses. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. How many of you know wherever the Lord is, there is holy ground? And how many of you know you carry the presence of God with you? Everywhere you go is holy ground. Amen. Because you make it so. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Go down to verse, or chapter 4, verse 1. And we know, just, just, some, just some context, uh, why we're skipping over it. We, we know this story. Uh, Moses begins asking questions and the Lord is asking him to go to Pharaoh to, to release his people. The Lord is going to use Moses as his mouthpiece to release the people of Israel from Pharaoh. He's, he's chosen Moses and he's talking to him about this task. And he asks, this is in, in chapter 3, the reason I want to give context is because this is one of the most uh, profound statements that we hear from the Lord in the Old Testament is when Moses asks, who do I say sent me? Say, I am sent you. He is all that is and all that was and all that will ever be held in those two words. Right? Three letters. Profound. Anyways, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Right response. The Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. That would have been hard for me, right? Snakes are coming out. I hit them with my truck as often as possible because they're terrifying. But the Lord is using this to, he, he is literally using this to terrify and put on display the power. Hear that, see that, catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. So that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So Moses has, let's just recap. He's just encountered God through a burning bush. Okay? And this bush is still talking to him. This bush turned his staff into a serpent and then back into a staff. Got his hand leprous when he put it inside his cloak and restored it after he, put it, after he pulled it out. And this is Moses' response in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, 
O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses was called to set his people free. And Moses' response after seeing these miraculous things from God was, well, I don't really talk all that great. Like that was going to stop. He just saw, I'm going to rewind because I don't think he heard me. He saw a burning bush speak to him, turn his stick into a serpent, and then back into a stick. He gave one piece of his body that he put into his cloak, a deadly disease, and then restored it in the same moment. And Moses' response, I can't do this that you've asked me to do because I don't talk that great. What is that but a lens? In the way he sees himself and the way he sees the world, they won't receive me. No matter the miracles that you've just put on display, they won't receive me because I'm not eloquent in speech. Let's look at another example. In Judges. Judges 6. We love Gideon. We talk about Gideon a lot. Um, Just in the Christian church in its entirety. The call of Gideon is powerful though because we see, and we talk of this call, when we talk about Gideon, what do we think? We think of a mighty man of valor. That's what the Lord calls him. But oftentimes we forget the journey that Gideon had to go through. The process that he had to go through. Look at, look at Judges 6, uh, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the uh, terebinth at Oprah, which belonged, oh my goodness, uh, Joash the Ebezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it, From the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. What is that but a lens? He, He literally recounts to God what God has done. And then when the Lord says, yeah, I'm going to send you to save all of Israel, he's like, well, how are you going to do that? I know you parted the Red Sea, but how are you going to do that? I'm the least in my father's house, and I'm in the smallest tribe. How? That is a lens, church. Do you see the trend for this morning? Numbers 13, verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. This is the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan to spy out the promised land that the Lord had set for them. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land 
And they told him, we came to to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruits. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. Israelites getting to the promised land that the Lord had promised. This is not like an introduction to this. They knew that this is where the Lord was taking them all of this time. He was not just rescuing them from Egypt so that they could wonder. He was rescuing them to take them to a place where He would establish His kingdom in and through them. And they finally get there. And they finally see it. These people that watched an entire nation's army be devoured as they pursued them through a path in the sea that was made dry ground by the Lord. And they watched that same sea that they walked through devour a nation that had enslaved them for hundreds of years. And they were led by a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. And not only that, let's also add in the reality that Moses put on display this serpent, this leprous hand. They saw the plagues that plagued Egypt before Pharaoh released them to leave. They saw the angel of death pass over and kill all the firstborns of those that did not have the blood of the lamb over their doorway, over the threshold. This is what they've seen just to get out of Egypt. The miracles, the hand of God that has been at work on their behalf, this is what they've seen. And they arrive at the place that the Lord said, I am leading you to. The pillar of fire and a cloud by day leading them to this place. And they see what waits for them there. And all of a sudden, boom. We can't do this. This isn't for us. The Lord was wrong. Their lens determined their actions. It determined how they would respond to what the Lord was doing for them. Even after everything that they had witnessed, they had a lens of hopelessness, not a lens of hope. And now they lived for hundreds of years with a lens of hopelessness in their condition, never thinking that they would be saved. People were born into slavery and they, were di- they died slaves a lot of times as they were working in Egypt. That was their culture, was slavery. And this God does miraculous and profound things, but they can't seem to change the lens. Or they did for a moment, but they put back on 
the hopeless one that they used to carry. We do this all the time. Why do we do this? Because it's familiar. It's not comfortable. It's not a fun place to live. But we are more familiar with hopelessness than we are with hope. Children of God, what has happened? That we would be more comfortable standing in a place of hopelessness over our city, over our church, than we would in standing in a place of hope, a joyful anticipation of good. We've got the wrong lens, and we need to change our lens back to hope. How do you know if right now you lack hope? Everything is hard. That's how you know you lack hope. Because let's just boil this down really quick. We are more than conquerors. Amen. We are God's elect. Amen. His chosen people. Yes? This is who we are. We are built on victory and victory alone. How many of you have known a day without the victory of Jesus? None of us. Because we came after the victory of Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? We came after it. We didn't have to fight a battle. We didn't have to defeat the grave. We only know a day where the grave has no power. Amen? Amen? This is who we are and this is the reality of who we are. So with that understanding, what the Lord has asked us to do in this community, and let's just boil it down, He's asked us to be kind. He's asked us to be kind. He's asked us to be obedient. That's really all that it is. Kindness and obedience. Open to whatever He leads us to. Open to whatever He presents us. And we say yes to it and we step into it. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow. But we know today the Lord asked us to say yes and we will say yes. So that's what we know. We know specifically that the Lord has called us to be kind. And He's asked us to walk in obedience because what He desires to do is to establish the kingdom of heaven in this city in such a way that it exists more, it looks more like the kingdom of heaven than it does a city and a state and a country. And Jay talked about it a couple weeks ago. That doesn't just happen overnight. It has to be built. Amen? It has to be built. But with all of the understanding of what the Lord has done and what He has set you up on, the victory that He has established you in, it was His victory and He's called it yours. And He set you on a mountaintop of victory. And knowing everything that He's asked us to do to be obedient and be kind, of those two things, which one of them is hard? Not a one of them is hard. Not a single one of those things is difficult. Establishing the kingdom of heaven in such a way that it exists more like the kingdom here than it does a city and a state and a country is not hard. It just takes time. Let's not get it twisted. Just because it takes time does not mean that it's hard. It just means it takes time. Amen? It just takes time. What the Lord has asked us to do is not hard. It just takes time. It will be challenging. We will not always want to do it. But it's not hard. But if the lens that we wear is wrong, we take moments with good things happening and just, we just simply see it as a challenge and not a blessing. 
And that's where I've lived the last few weeks. I've lived in this place of seeing what the Lord is pruning and not seeing it as goodness, but seeing it as difficulty and hardship. My lens was wrong. It was incorrect. I was wearing a lens of hopelessness, not a lens of hope. And I know I'm not the only one. I know for a fact I'm not the only one in this room that has been living with the wrong lens. Hope, it cares about where you are going. It allows you to see through difficult things. It parts the storm that you are facing that you could see the clarity on the other side of it. That He could bless you. You can see the blessing. Again, we've talked about this before. It's been about a year ago, but we talked about this when we plan our escape and escape comes when you wear a lens of hopelessness. Because if it's hopeless, I've got to get out. But what do we do? We miss the blessing in the midst of the storm. Did God raise the valley, uh, the dry bones on the mountaintop or in the valley? In the valley. But guess where we're always trying to get away from? The valley. But the most profound things typically take place down there. And church, we are walking into the valley. So will we come out with an army of what used to be dry bones that has been fully restored? Or will we look for a way to avoid the valley altogether and therefore miss the blessing that God has for us? Continue to live life with a hopeless lens over our eyes that all we can see is hopelessness. We can see no hope for the future. If I live with hopelessness over me, if I live with this wrong lens, it only will ever allow me to see my past and see my present. It will never allow me to see to tomorrow. But what is the Lord working for today? He's working for tomorrow. So I can't even be a part of what the Lord is doing today if I wear this lens of hopelessness because all I'm worried about is my current difficulty and the difficulty of yesterday. And I'll miss the blessing that's coming tomorrow. The joyful anticipation of good. Goodness is coming. And in the midst of the valley, those dry bones, there was goodness. And the Lord did profound and miraculous things. Turn with me to Romans 4, 18. I'm going to read two versions uh, of this passage. The first one's going to be the, uh, the normal, the English Standard Version. That's what I preach out of. If you don't know ESV, that's what I preach out of. Romans 4, 18. And hope, he believed, this is Abraham, and hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And now I want to read out of the message. The message is a cool version of the Bible because it just breaks things down in a, in a different way, in a more like our language type of way for today. Um, and it's just a lot more descriptive and insightful. It's, it's a cool version. Check it out every, every now and then. It's a lot of fun. But anyways, uh, 4.18 in the message. I think I have 17 in here as well. So if it's not up there, you'll be all right. Just listen. We call Abraham father 
Not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. How many of us does that describe? I love that song, New Wine, because of that line, that one line. It's the greatest line in the song. I, and now I've just spaced it out. I've totally just forgotten it. Um, but I, I came here with nothing but all that you, and all that you have given me. What did I bring but that which the Lord gave me? I've brought nothing here. Correct, the things that I've brought in here, the Lord did not give me because they're not of him. The things that we carry in are not the things that God has blessed us with. But really, in reality, everything good in my story is the Lord, not Parker. Parker didn't get it. Parker didn't achieve it. It was him and him alone. All I did was say yes. We were nobodies and the Lord has made us someone by calling us sons and daughters. Amen. And continuing reading, isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God to do could do to raise the dead to life with a word make something out of nothing when everything was hopeless Abraham believed anyway deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do but on what God said he would do and so he was made father of a multitude of peoples God himself said to him, you are going to have a big family, Abraham. And we are descendants of that family. And we're talking about him today. The promise of God continues and it extends evermore. The Lord continues to do. But it's, and I love this line. I love, I love this about uh, this translation. Abraham believing anyway. Deciding not to live on the basis of what he saw that he couldn't do but to live on the basis of what God said he would do. Church, we've been living in a place, looking at our city, and it's not just us, it's a lot of people in Sundown, Texas, and wherever we are, we've been looking at the place that we're in and only seeing what we can't do. And then we've become hopeless. Instead of focusing with the lens of hope on what God said he would do. And what did God say he would do? He said he would make sundown more like the kingdom than a city and a state and a country. This is what he said he would do. He did not say that if you can't do it, it won't happen. He said, this is what I will do. Period. Church, we need to change our lens to a lens of hope because otherwise we will not see this pruning season for what it is. An opportunity to set up a foundation for newness of life, for new growth, for beauty, for expansion to come. First has to be pruned. It has to be pruned. And we are in that season. But if we see it and continue to live in it with a lens of hopelessness, we will miss all that the Lord has for us in the midst of it. We were, 
we're, we're not having Sunday school, so practice is a little bit later. Um, and we finished at 1040 today. We, we finished practicing at 1040. We just hung out a little bit longer because we were having fun. At 1040, we took a break. And I looked out here, and there were four people here. And I'm telling you right now, I was pumped. Because for the first time, I saw what four people could do because of what one person already did. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus was released upon the earth and he transformed it. And we're here today because of his one life, because of three years of ministry. And I had four people in here that walked with the Spirit of God. I'm liking my odds. I'm liking what the Lord can do because there's four of us now. There's not just one. There's not just one Jesus. There's four of us that carry the living presence of God in this city. And one did it for the entirety of the world. And he transformed it. And we're here today in sundown Texas, a place not discovered, not even known about in Jesus' time. We are here today because of this one man. And now imagine what the four of us can do. But some of you got here, you got here later, that's all right, no judgment, you're here, summertime schedule, right, we're just cruising, we're moving through it, but now I'm really excited, because there's a lot more than four in here, and what can we do if we put on the lens of hope, expectation of God to be God and do what he said he would do, and in joyful anticipation of good. Church, can we step into this place joyfully anticipating good? Man, I was uh, at that church last night. They were having a worship service, and you could, you, it's, it's a baby church, right? They're two years old. Uh, they were asking about us. I was talking to the pastor afterwards. He's like, man, so are you guys a new church plant? And it's like, no, we've been around a while. He's like, oh, uh, not, not too long, right? And I'm like, the 38. Like 1938 is like yeah that's when our church was established. It's like okay not a ba- not a baby church, and I think sometimes we take that for granted, the fact that we have stepped into a house that has matured in in walking with the Spirit of God, and so I'm in this church and they're they're passionate and they are worshiping, but you can just feel the youth in their walk with with the Holy Spirit of God, and it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. Because the thing that was so beautiful about it is there are, there are kids, just the, there were these little kids, and then like I said, there are these uh, 90-year-old ladies and men right next to each other getting after it, worshiping with all of their might, with all of their heart. And I see it, and I'm like, this, this community is going to be transformed because of these people, because of the lens that they wear. They don't even have their own church. They're operating in other churches and they're having their services on Saturday nights because it's the only way they can have a church service. It's going to take them two years to get this building built. It's going to take a while. They're in process. And he talked about that. They preached last night about being in this process and being ready to step into what's next. And that is, that is the message for us today. Are we ready to with hope step into the pruning that the Lord desires to do in this season, that He could build something profound. 
Jay talked about it, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, but he talked about this passage in Zechariah 4. It's verse 10. But how the Lord rejoices in the building. I think we look at it as the Lord only rejoicing in the finished product. But how many of you know that in this life you will never be finished? The process of growing with the Lord, of you becoming more like Him and making God making His appeal through you and Him working through you, He will work through you and use you till your last breath on this earth. So the process is never over. He continually is using us. He's continually doing wonderful things and He is continually using us to build and He is rejoicing in the building. Every time we construct something new in obedience to Him, He is rejoicing. It's not a finished product, but it is being built. And that's the importance. So are we willing, church, again, we've come to this question a couple times, are we willing to be those that are builders and that rejoice in the building? That we are building a structure that we may never live in, but there will be a generation that will know nothing but this structure that we're building right now. That there would be a generation that we will not see, but that only knows hope, does not know hopelessness. What if we, church, are the group that removes that from sundown Texas forever? That what we construct is a vessel and a, and a building and a temple of hope, a kingdom of hope, that hopelessness has no place, that it's a word that we are not familiar with in future generations. That's what we're building now. So have hope. Put on a lens of hope.